I said, uh, I said, never embarrass me like that again. And I said, what? I said, never embarrass me like that again. And I said, I got traded here. You guys want to switch the culture. I said, if someone's going to trip one of our best players, I don't care if it's a warm-up. I don't care if it's in the last minute of the game. I don't care if it's in the parking lot. I'm fighting them and being good. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli. This is Crunch Chronicles. Episode 12 of the show this week, and boy, we have a special guest on the program here today as we roll into episode 12. Now, a dozen episodes in, about three months into this program now, and I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. Last week, Tyson Nash was a wonderful guest, great personality, and a fun guy to get a conversation with. And now we shift our attention to a player who spent only two years in Syracuse, but my goodness, did he make an impact on the organization? He really changed the culture for a couple of years stretch there with the crunch and was a big part of a team that had high aspirations in 2007, 2008. And as that year progressed, the team got better and better. It was the captain of that team, Zenon Kanapka, who is our guest here on Crunch Chronicles this week. And again, I think everyone who is a crunch fan knows uh, how how competitive and how energetic and how Seriously, Zenon Kanapka took his role with the Crunch, and he was just a tremendous leader for this organization. Coming over in the 06-07 season, played 20 games, had 20 points that year, coming over following a trade, and then was just dynamite the next year. 55 points in 62 games. He had 10 points in 13 games as well, and a team uh, that he felt really could have competed for the Calder Cup. If if he didn't break his hand for a second time that year, uh, that might have been a really, really special team. Not that it wasn't, but it could have just been as good as it gets for the crunch. Boy, he is he's a guy who is so busy. He's got so much going on. He, he's involved in a ton of things, as you'll hear coming up off the top with our conversation with Zenit Kanapka. But uh, he just you could tell how much he loves the crunch. He loves the city. And he was a wonderful conversation. It is episode 12 of Crunch Chronicles with forward Zenon Kanapka. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm in Niagara on the Lake, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I do uh, have fond memories of my two great years at Syracuse and the connection with the team and the connection with the, the fans and the connection with the, the city and uh, the connection with new fans. I think we brought some new fans into, into the building and... Uh, it was a special time in my career and a lot of fun. Well, we can't wait to get caught up on that and uh, and discuss your your two years with the Crunch, uh, Niagara on the Lake. What do you have going on there? Uh, what, what's what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, so um, when I when I retired, I did a well when I was still playing, I did a variety of businesses. Um, one of which is we did a, a wine label. That started out in Niagara Lake. Actually, we started making wine out of Napa Valley, and um, it was a charity wine that we gave a bunch of money back to charity, and uh, it was awesome. It was a great, great business. Just like uh, the rest of the world, it was affected by COVID in a negative way. Um, so we're just trying to kind of get that back up and running. Uh, a few other businesses that I dabbled in was uh, like a cold packet and storage, and. You know, over the last few years, I started getting the itch for for hockey again. So, I worked for a, a, a gentleman and legend named Adam Oates. Uh, his development program is by far, I think, the best in the world. 
And I was with him for almost two years where we, we trained the best players in the world, including, you know, Stamkos, Kucherov, Eichel, uh, Nurse, Shifley, and then McDavid came to us. So it was pretty, pretty amazing to, to learn from Adam Oates and to be on the ice with those players and help, help, uh, develop and develop those players into even better players. Um, after that, there was a lot of travel and a bit of a strain on the family, having four kids, three of them, um, well, they're all young, but eight years old, five years old, four years old, three years old. So I had to, I had to do something a little closer to home. So I started doing my own kind of development out of kind of the Niagara region. And this year I signed, uh, signed up with uh, the Niagara Ice Dogs of the Ontario Hockey League to do their, be their development coach. And I wanted some, a little bit of experience behind the bench. So um, I'm, I'm coaching in Welland Junior B. Um, and it's been great. It's been great. I couldn't believe how much I miss being around the guys and the team atmosphere. So when we're doing development, it's a little different because it's individualized. But when we, when I'm doing the coaching with the Ice Dogs or the Niagara Junior or Welland Junior Canadians, uh, I get to, you know, on a daily basis, see the guys and, and help them and motivate them and brings back a lot of memories of my career. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. What have you learned uh, in, from, you know, through that experience, I guess, in terms of coaching, uh, what have you learned about yourself and, and is it something you're going to continue to pursue, I guess, moving forward? Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me what I want to do. And right now I'm just trying to get the, as, the most experience possible for myself. And I always think of whatever you do, the more knowledge you know, the better prepared you're going to be down the line. So um, I've had a really positive experience with the, with the ice dog, the OHL team, because um, the GM and, and the owner there, uh, the GM owner and, and, and coach are all from the same family. Um, so they really kind of, everyone checks their ego at the door and, it really gets in, into the guts of what's going on with the team, and uh, it's been awesome. With Wellen being on the bench, kind of brought a lot of the uh, competitiveness of myself out, and and um, so it's it's something that I enjoy. Even though I'm 40 years old, I feel very connected, kind of to the players, which I was pleasantly surprised with. Um, and if I always say my goal with development is to try to make players play as long as they can. And I always say, you want to play hockey for as long as you can. It doesn't matter where you're going to play. If you're going to play in the NHL, you're going to play in the AHL, you're going to play in the East Coast Hockey League, you know, go, you go to university in Canada, go get a scholarship to the United States or play in Europe. Um, it's important, you know, the rest of regular life can wait and the experiences and the connections that happen during your career help you beyond your career. So that's kind of the game plan right now is, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm very super competitive with the coaching aspect and, we're kind of going to go from there. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Uh, and it's it's kind of astounding how much a game has changed, I guess, over the years. And f- just from when you were a player, which is not all that long ago, to now. How, how have you seen the game change? And how, you know, going from you know, everything that you went through the, through the course of your career, how has that helped you uh, get your message across to the players about whatever it might be in, t- in keeping their careers going as long as they want them to go? Yeah, I think my career helped me a lot because... I realized from 
a pretty young age that you had to evolve with the times and you had to understand where the league's going. Uh, don't forget, I, I was I was playing pro hockey, not in the NHL, but you know in the AHL under the old rules. And then the lockout happened, and all the clutching and grabbing was um, put to the side. And we moved forward with a, a faster game, a more you know open and wide open game. So I had to adjust as a player. And I always say hockey kind of goes in cycles. And usually the cycle goes on. If whoever wins the Stanley Cup, the rest of the league looks towards that team and tries to build that team. And, you know, I, I was part of the Anaheim uh, system and I played in Anaheim and I got traded actually to, to Syracuse from there the year they won the Cup. And they, play, they, they played a, a, a heavy game, they call it, a physical game. And then a, a lot of, you know, a lot of teams are going after that, you know, from that standpoint. And then you had some skill-wide teams like Chicago in the Stanley Cup, and and then a lot of general managers pushed in that area. Then St. Louis wins the Cup a few years ago, and it goes back to that kind of heavy set, you know. So the one thing that I think stays consistent is competitiveness. And I think competitiveness is the new toughness, I think it's the best barometer to judge players with because at the end of the day, once you get into the playoffs, the game is going to get faster and rougher and tougher. And it's the competitive players um, that usually, and there's outliners to this, kind of rise to the top. I, I would totally agree with that. I, that's what I hear when I'm talking to the, the coaches these days with the crunch. It's it's that compete level. It's the competitiveness. Those are the terms that get thrown out there almost uh, daily uh, from the crunch's perspective these days. And you can tell that that is definitely the way the league has uh, has trended here recently. Uh, Zanin, let's, uh, let's shift our focus now to your time with the crunch, though. Like we said, it was two years here. You, you mentioned it briefly off the top. But give us just, again, another general thought about your uh, your two years with the crunch. Well, I mean, to be uh, to be kind of an open book, um, I played in Anaheim system. We played for Portland Pirates, and uh, we lost them in Game Seven of the semifinals of the Calder Cup, and we got guest left Perry and Penner down for Game Seven against Hershey. We lost double overtime. Um, saying that Milwaukee was waiting in the wings and they were, there was a piece of cake. So really we lost the the championships in in double overtime. And the next year, after a bit of contract dispute, I went to uh, Russia for two months and came back and, and um, for whatever reason, for me going to Russia, I wasn't in Anaheim's plans then. And uh, at that point, I just wanted to win the Calder Cup, and for me, I kind of took winning for granted almost because, you know, as a minor hockey player, we won a couple um, province championships. In junior, we won the national championship my first year in Ottawa. Um, My third year, we won the Ontario Hockey League, went back to the national championship. And then when I went to Boise, Idaho, in the East Coast Hockey League, we won the East Coast Hockey League. Um, So it was my... You know, really, my my sole purpose was to win, and um, for whatever reason, with Anaheim and Portland, I think there was a bit of a miscommunication. Um, so then I was moved and moved to Syracuse. So 
you know, I come from kind of like a first place club um, to, you know, our record wasn't very good when we got to Syracuse. And um, so, and part of putting all the cards on the table, part of the reason I think I got moved out of Anaheim and Portland was I did have a lot of control over the team in the playoff run of uh, lines and, and decisions. I don't think they particularly were fond of that um, from a management point of view. So when I got moved to Syracuse, I remember um, I said, you know, I'm just going to play and shut my house and go play. And, you know, I got to stop caring so much because every time I care too much and get, you know, revved up, it's taken the wrong way. And uh, so the first first time I played, um, I went to the net and I kind of got tripped by a guy. And when I'm in the net, the defenseman grabs my foot. So I rip my foot out and I get thrown out for a misconduct for kicking. Um, they, They wanted to suspend me and they showed the videos and I didn't get suspended. So the next night we're playing Hamilton. So this is really my first game with the Crunch. And um, and Hamilton was a good team. And again, Syracuse, our record wasn't very good. And we're beating them. And and um, I believe I fought in the game and had a goal. And it was about 25 seconds left in the game. And the game was already, I think we were up 6 twos. And someone said something to one of our better players. And I said, well, as soon as the puck drops, we're, we're going to fight. You know, you're not saying anything to our better players anymore. And uh, the coach saw this and he changed. He sent the guy on for, for me to change. So I slowly got back to the bench and I sat up there on the bench and he knew I wasn't happy. So the coach, Ross Yates, comes down and said, you know, you had a great game, you know, great you know, great goal, great fight, and, um, you know, but I don't want you, you know, we don't want anyone getting hurt, and, you know, we don't need that, you know, garbage at the end of the game. And I said, uh, I said, never embarrass me like that again. And he said, what? I said, never embarrass me like that again. I said, I got traded here. You guys want to switch the culture. I said, if someone's going to trip one of our best players, I don't care if it's a warm-up. I don't care if it's in the last minute of the game. I don't care if it's in the parking lot. I'm fighting them and beating the shit out of them. And, um, and he stormed down the bench, wasn't happy with the, with the comments. And uh, so then I remember coming to the rink the next day, and we had one car, and I was driving with my girlfriend, and I said, what am I doing? Like, I just told myself I wasn't going to do this. Like, I wasn't going to engage with the coach, engage with anything, just go and play. <clears throat> so I got to the rink, and... Um, the assistant coach said, you know, the coach wants to see this. So, you know, so you make the track up to the coach's office. And I sat down and I said, coach, let me, you know, I want to. And he said, listen, I don't want to hear anything. And I was going to apologize for the way I acted. And he said, listen, I was thinking last night and I was thinking this morning. And he's like, you're right. We are on the bottom of the league and you are here to train the, you know, change, change the culture. So I'm in. If you think we need to do this, then we're going to do it. And I was kind of shocked, to be honest with you. I didn't think I was going to get that reaction from the coach. I thought I was going to get another tongue lashing. Um, and, you know, 
I don't think Ross Yates got enough credit um, for him, like, understanding that point. Because there's not many coaches that, you know, and, and I mean, it was somewhat of a heated, you know, discussion on the bench between us two when this happened. Um, so I don't think many coaches would think and, and say, okay, you're, even if they thought I was right, tell me I was right. Uh, and when Ross said, no, this is what we were doing. <clears throat> so then, um, you know, we played, I think we played in Hamilton a couple of days later and Palat was one of our good players. He got two hands across the face and I looked at Ross and he said, go do what I want to do. And, uh, and then we started changing the culture on, um, and, and, and I mean, we had, like I would say with a team, like you got to look at what you have and you got to use it to the best of your ability. And on that team and on the next year team, we had a tough bunch of guys. And, you know, you look at, you know, Sestino and Dorsett and, um, Darcy Barrow was there the first year. And, um, and I remember, so we started this and, and I remember, um, the reporter from the paper, I think we won, now we won a couple games in a row. And, uh, I had an interview after the game and I said, well, you know, we got 18 games left. If we can win, you know, 16 out of 18, maybe we got a chance to, you know, make the playoffs. And he started laughing. I said, like, he's having one more than two games all year. What are you talking about? Winning like 18, 16 out of 18. Like, and, um, and then we ripped out a bunch of more wins. And, uh, and then everyone started jumping on board. And, um, the ironic thing about it is, just the whole story is, that we we played Binghamton and and we're rolling now. We haven't lost many games at all, and now it's like maybe this is actually possible. And it was the only hat trick I ever had in pro hockey was that night. I scored a hat trick, and again, one of the assistant captains was complaining about some call to the ref. I told him, you know. I didn't like his point of view on his call and we were going to fight right by the referee and the ref said, you can't fight here. And I said, why not? He said, well, you just, you're not allowed. You got to wait till they drop the puck. So, um, so I fought him and I hit him. He's a lefty and I hit him on the top of the head and my hand was pretty swelled up. And, you know, I got to the bench and trainers like your hands broke. And I said, no, it's not, I don't break any bones. And to that point, I never broke a bone in my body. And, um, so after the game, I told him, just wrap it. I'll be fine for tomorrow. And, uh, so I came in the middle of the night, I had ripped the wrap off and I came and my hand swelled up. He's like, man, you got to go to the hospital and get an x-ray. So I went to the hospital, got the x-ray, it was broken. And I said, okay, well, what are we going to do for me to play? And he says, oh, no, no, you can't play. Like if this moves any further, you're going to need surgery. I said, I, I don't care. I need to play. And they said, no, no, you cannot play. This is impossible. A thousand percent. Well, we had another physician that understood sports a little more. This was more of a doctor. So I went to the vet doctor and he said, well, listen, the only way you can play really is that we put a splint, but it's going to be a big splint under your glove. I don't even know if we're going to be able to fit it in the glove. And 
So anyway, we built this splint that, and we had to cut my glove to get it in. And um, so then we played and, you know, we had a couple, I think we lost the one game. I think it was six, five, five, four, six, five. And we outshot them badly. You know, we just didn't get goaltendings that night. And we were like, we were on a razor thin, like, because I mean, we had to win 16 to 18, you know, coming home and, and we lost one in overtime and then we lost one and then we went to Binghamton and I think we lost five, four, six, five. And at that point I re-injured my hand again. And at that point, playoffs mathematically didn't look very good. So I went back to the hospital. And sure enough, it was this place. So what the doctor said came true. I needed surgery instead of not having surgery. So then I had the surgery right away. Um, they put a plate in my hand. I come in for training camp the next year in Columbus. And they said it didn't heal well. We have to take the plate out. Well, when they take the plate out, now the holes in my hand have to heal. So now I missed training camp. I missed the first couple months of the season. And lo and behold, we're in the situation again. We're on the bottom of the league. Um, so, I mean, we just had a little more time then because this was like in November, December. <clears throat> and the ironic thing, too, is I came back and there was a conversation about me playing with his hand and they said well you played with the last time the last thing we need is you know you haven't learned your lesson but the doctor said no it's you know we're talking more about holes in his hand we're not talking about a you know a fresh break um i think he can play well wouldn't you believe it we're playing i believe in houston and i hit a guy and i hear a crack and it's just so much pain i come to the bench and the trainer goes your let me see your hand your hand I give my hand. He goes, no, the other one. I said, no, it's this one. And I broke my other hands. So then, yeah, yeah. So, um, and that one, we took a little bit of time off. And by by the time this was all done, you know, we're, we're our record's not very good. Um, but then eventually, like all things in life, my hands, you know, mended and, you know, healed up. And that's where we got John Morasky in the lineup. And, um, we had Dorsett and Sestito and, you know, we started playing a, a really tough brand of hockey. And it's funny to say because, and I mean, I think we went undefeated for 23 games. Um, if you count the end of the year in the playoffs. And, and I think, I, I honestly think if, if I don't break my hand the second time, I honestly think we, I think in my whole, like, honestly, in my heart, I think we win the Calder cup, but because, I broke my hand and we were so behind the eight ball. We were playing playoff hockey for so long just to get into the playoffs that, you know, it was hard to sustain that. I mean, obviously we went to, you know, we beat a good Manitoba team, which that was a tough, um, that was a, a, a tough draw because they were the second hottest team. I think going in, we were the hottest. And then, um, and then we had to play Toronto team, that, you know, it went to seven and I mean, we lost to seven and a bounce here and bounce there. Um, obviously it just wasn't, the stars weren't aligned. Um, but it's funny because I get more, more, more guys asking me questions because kind of, I, I made them, which I never thought I was going to play in the NHL for a long period of time, but I ended up playing a, a long time in the NHL after this. And I had more questions about that Syracuse game. Like everyone was infatuated with it. And, 
pretty much most of the response I got was they wanted nothing to do with our team besides get out of our arena in one piece. And, um, and again, it just kind of goes back to the fact that you got to use, you know, what you have. I think, you know, fans started coming out of the woodwork too. And I think we solved the parking problem because there was a bunch of like a traffic jam for parking, but we had so many fights at warm up that half the people were showing up for warm up. So it helped the parking uh, issue we had in Syracuse outside in, in the traffic. So, um, it was, uh, it was awesome, you know, and it was a big, you know, I mean, if you look at on paper, our team comparable to, you know, probably two thirds of the league on paper were much better than us. Right. But, you know, they don't, they don't, that's why they play the games and that's why, you know, emotion and, um, momentum is part of sports and uh, it was on kind of full full exhibit that year. Oh, there is so much to unpack on what you said there. And I know we uh, we had you with a couple of guys on in a crunch chat over the course of the pandemic a year or so ago, uh, talking about that 2017, 2007-2008 uh, season, which you were alluding to there, and the run you guys uh, went on and could have potentially gone on. How how tight was that team as a whole, though? And and just the journey you guys went on together from you know coming from way back, going on that very long run and into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, I wouldn't even consider it a team. It was more of a family, you know. And, I mean, I made a conscious effort that we did a lot of things outside of the team. And, really, when you're talking about the AHL, most of the time, you know, you start getting, you know, you spend a lot of time together. So, last thing you want to do is spend more time outside the rink. But we did. You know, and I mean, we had some signing Sundays where I'd say, you know, I would pick a establishment in Syracuse. And, you know, if we didn't play on that Sunday, I would be there from 12 noon to midnight. And every player would have to come to sign in. We'd have a rookie sign in everyone off. And you could stay for five minutes or you can stay for five hours. You can stay for 12 hours. Um, but everyone showed up. And most people stay for more than five minutes, you know. And, and it's one of those things where the thing I really – um, pushed as the captain was kind of inclusion, right? That like everyone kicks in a different way and you need to respect everyone of what they do and what they bring to the team. And didn't matter what type of player you were, as long as you tried your hardest at scoring, if you were a scorer or a passer, if you were a defender, like that was all that I asked. And, um, even though we were the toughest team in the league by far, we weren't asking our skill players to play tough. We had guys to do that, right? And I remember Derek Broussard, um when we played in Manitoba, I forgot who who their top centerman is, but you know, he said he watched, he watched this off the draw and when they opened the draws, he shook his gloves and wanted to try to fight their, their best player. And then he wouldn't fight. But again, it was another kind of feather in our cap and we're like, Oh wow. They even, you know, even their skill guys doesn't want to fight our skill guys, you know, like, so it was, yeah, it was one of those things where, um, it was awesome how close we were, um, from, and I, I just really think, which is tough in sports is that everyone respected each other and everyone gave, you know, whatever they could and check their egos at the doors. And and that's why we were so close to the team. 
Uh, and then you mentioned uh, the conversation you had with Ross Yates there at the at the beginning when you just basically first got to the team. Uh, uh, you know what? How did that unlock you as a player? I guess uh, obviously you had that in you the, that that compete that the competitiveness that uh, you cared so much. You said, but have, getting the go ahead, I guess, what did that do for you to basically unlock you? Whether it was here in Syracuse and then for the rest of your career. Yeah, unlock is a good word to describe it because. When I play, I played in Cincinnati in the lockout year in the AHL. And Shane O'Brien, uh, who does the Missing Curfews podcast, little show to him. Um, I fought him twice the year before. And, you know, we got along. You know, we were nice to each other and stuff like that. And about halfway through the season, on the bus ride home, I forget, we were coming back from Chicago. He sat beside me on the bus. And he goes, yeah, I got to apologize to you. And I said, for what? <laughs> He goes, I just didn't think this was real. I said, what was real? What are you talking about? He's like, just you, like, of how much you care and how intense you are. I honestly thought it was just a front you put it up, and you were just kind of doing it because the coach was around or the guys were around. And then I realized, no, this is who you are. So, you know, I'm on board, you know, like, and, and because Ross did that in Syracuse and embraced it, it helped other players to embrace it. And it kind of, it, uh, it just, it helped everyone pull in the same direction. And uh, something where um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things over that year, now that I'm coaching, that I think about and I use in my coaching today. Yeah, that's awesome to hear that that you've been able to, I guess, reflect back on that time a bit and uh, use it uh, where you are today. Uh, we'll end with this one. I know we've uh, we've had you uh, up against the clock here. We'll we'll end with one, uh, just one final thought on. You mentioned the fans and and them coming out and supporting. Uh, I'm curious, just from that perspective, what it was like to play uh, in this building, especially as those runs were going and and the crowds got larger and larger. What it what it meant to you to play in front of the fans here in Syracuse and and in this city? Yeah, you know. I'd like to, I'd like to go back and I'd like to get some game footage, um, especially that Manitoba series. I think we won in overtime, if, I, if I'm correct. Yeah. Um, the whole series, I believe. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, we did win an overtime game in Syracuse, and I can, I'm just getting the shivers just thinking about it. Put it that way, you know, my, you know, down my neck, and. I don't know. Like, I just, I really enjoyed and like I connected literally, I would go and talk to fans and chat with fans. And I don't, and, you know, we were a, a social butterflies in the community and we did charity work and we liked doing that kind of stuff. And I don't know if other guys, like I like doing it and I made everyone else do it. Um, so we were like embedded into the community. It wasn't like we were a hockey team. They came to watch because we did so many things with the community, with the fans that um, they were legit part of it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those days, you know, one of those things where, um, you know, who knows how the cycle of hockey goes, you know, but it's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, who knows if I one day end up in Syracuse again. Um, but I did enjoy my time there. I enjoyed the, the city, um, and I just, I really, really, uh, look back on it and, um, enjoy 
all moments, not just on ice, but off ice as well. Yeah, uh, and we know you were uh, definitely a fan favorite in your time here, and and uh, you're signed here to retire officially from pro hockey and everything along those lines as well. Uh, well, Zed and Kanapka, we appreciate the time here today. It was fun to, to hear you uh, discuss the, those couple of years. Uh, uh, thanks for doing this today. We hope to, uh, we might have to get you back on again. There, I feel like there was so much to talk about, um, but we're out of time here yeah. today. We'll, we'll certainly get you back on at some point. We appreciate you doing this, and, uh, and thanks again. Yeah, we'll do it again for sure. Thank you. There he is, former Crunch forward Zenon Kanapka, who played two seasons with the Crunch from 2006 through 2008. Went on to play significant time in the National Hockey League after his time in Syracuse. You heard him uh, kind of credit Ross Yates for unlocking him there in his career and, and really setting him on the path uh, to full-time NHL success for a number of years. And uh, you gotta you got to appreciate what he did following his time with the Crunch, but my goodness was he good for his year and change in Syracuse again only two seasons really was a year and change because of the injury he only played 82 games with the crunch but he made such a significant impact on the organization changed the culture of the crunch at that time and was a key part of the reason why the crunch became a force as that 2007 2008 season continued to progress with everything that he did there and and uh, Again, he was super busy. You could tell he was in the middle of doing some work. We caught him for about a half hour or so uh, during the course of the week. And ask him one question about Syracuse. And he went on for, oh, like, what, 10, 12 minutes or so, just uh, giving his whole story. And, and you know how much it meant to him to be here, how much it still means to him that he was a part of this organization. Uh, he gave us some time over the course of the pandemic with one of our crunch chats as well when we brought handful of guys together from that 0708 team and uh, you just know that he he took this position this job in Syracuse so seriously and uh, we are we're very fortunate that he's a crunch alumni uh, and just how much he cared about the city the team and everything associated with the crunch so again we appreciate Zen and Kanapka giving us the time this week on episode 12 of crunch chronicles we'll head back towards the start of the organization for episode 13 we think you'll enjoy that one as well well, stay tuned for that moving forward. But once again, thanks to Zen and Kanapka for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode with Zen and Kanapka, we appreciate a rating and a review. You can always do that right here wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Share the podcast with your friends and family or any other Crunch fans in your life. We think they'll enjoy it as well if they're not already listening to Crunch Chronicles. If you want to, if you have any great stories or if you want to reach out to me about anything or any guests you'd like to hear from moving forward, you can email me at Lucas Favali via Twitter or email lfavali at syracusecrunch.com that's at Lucas Favalli on Twitter and L Favalli at SyracuseCrunch.com uh, via email. So that's the way to get in touch with me. That's episode 12 of Crunch Chronicles with Zed and Kanapka. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. As I said, we'll go back into the vault a little bit more, back towards the start of the organization once again. That'll do it for us this week. We'll be back next week with another great episode of Crunch Chronicles.